time for the Extra Innings Podcast, presented by the Seattle Times. Your host is Seattle Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish. This semi-weekly slash monthly slash whenever he gets around to it podcast talks about the Mariners, Major League Baseball, food, and whatever else Ryan and his guests decide to talk about. And now, here's your host, Ryan Divish. All right, the Extra Innings Podcast is back. We're coming to you live. Well, I guess it's not live because it's not like live radio. It's, it's a podcast, so it's being taped. But I'm alive, I think. I don't feel like it at this point, but uh, live here in New York, uh, in Manhattan, at the Courtyard by Marriott Upper East Side, which, believe me, if you think of Upper East Side of Manhattan as being fancy and bougie, you would be vastly incorrect about this area and this place. Um, but, you know, it's, it's actually a pretty good deal, and I like the neighborhood. So, anyways, uh, thought I'd get a podcast out. Larry and I actually recorded our conversation on Wednesday evening uh, after the Rays series ended. I was at uh, Scenic Airport, Tampa Marriott, doing this podcast, and then I also went on with Lookout Landing. So um, basically, we just talk about the trade deadline, all the stuff that went into it, you know, the the wins over the A's, three of four, and then the crazy Monday night win over the Astros, and then the next day finding out that Kendall Grayman was traded, and then the reaction from that. And that's a story that you know, kind of touched a nerve with a lot of people, different people in different ways. Um, you know, for the record, like there was nothing sensationalistic about it. I wasn't trying to like generate clicks or anything like that this it was as larry and i discussed it was the most surreal and emotional trade thing i'd ever covered i'd never seen a reaction like that from players so i I wrote what i saw and you know scott service can say i was blowing out of proportion i think i probably undersold it actually and had i been there when all the stuff went down i think i would have had even more background or you know like when the players first found out some of the more reaction than than what I got because by then some of the players had kind of simmered down a little bit. There wasn't quite the anger, um, like the the visceral anger more than just the spoken anger. So anyways, we talk a lot about that, just the trade deadline as a whole, where the Mariners are going, what they're going to be next year, all that stuff. So typical just meandering conversation. So let's just, uh, I'll stop yapping and we'll get to it. Oh, also I'm going to include uh, audio from Jerry DePoto after the Diego Castillo trade and then after the trade deadline as a whole, just so you can hear his voice. He talks about some other stuff besides just the trade deadline stuff. So we'll put that on there as well. The Extra Innings Podcast is back with Larry Stone. He is in Bellevue in his office with all his books. You know, you guys, we, we're not, we don't post the video anymore, but he still has Edgar properly placed. So when he does have to do any Zoom, like for anything commercialized, it's in the background. I learned that from Passon with his, uh, the arm when he does his hits on ESPN. So I figured yeah. I, I, that's not a bad idea. Who do you I'm think, sure Scott? Who do you think has got more sales? Yeah, uh, probably him. Probably him. I know he got a bigger advance than I do. You know what they did? You know what they do for that though? On ESPN, they they actually just take pictures of it and they build a screen and then they put it on there. They like a drop down thing because I don't know. Mm-hmm. They do that. That's what I was told, anyways. It's not actually a um, 
It's not actually the room. It's just a picture of the room in their background. So, so you're not posting the video. I got like my hair done and shaved for nothing. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm not doing <laughs> that. So, um, well, Larry, I am sitting mm-hmm. here at the Tampa Airport Marriott, which is actually a really nice Marriott that is inside the terminal. You can just walk out, which is quite useful. Um, and you are in Bellevue. And the Mariners, well, they're on their way to New York. So um, it's been a lot's happened since before the trade deadline. The last time we did this podcast, I believe they had just taken three or four from the A's. Everything was exciting. We were talking about how they're going to add and everything else. And then the trade deadline hit and what a trade deadline it was. Let's, what do you think? Like, how would you sum up that trade deadline? (laughs) Well, not only after the three out of four, they had the game of the year, maybe the game of the day the next night. Yeah. After that. So, uh, uh, excitement was bubbling even higher uh just unbelievable i mean (laughs) just absolutely unbelievable you were the one who told me that you'd heard rumblings that uh, the grade was being traded i think you said you're not going to believe the trade and sure enough i did not believe the trade uh extremely controversial uh we can get into that uh in depth i'm sure um, and, but then the, the promise was that, you know, the indication from, from DePoto was it would all make sense when, when it got through and, uh, you know, in some, some sense it does, but for, it, it didn't make sense to me for a team driving for a playoff spot. Uh, it was not an aggressive, let's win it now type of move. And by that, I don't mean, you know, trading away your top prospects. Uh, I just thought there could have been done more for the now uh, than 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 then was done, and you know maybe maybe the Toro move will, will be far more for the, for the now than I than I anticipated, and it's, and it's certainly looking good right now. But uh, the the sting of the Graveman trade I think marred everything and uh, colors people's perceptions of what Depoto did. It just was hard to recover from bursting that bubble of the most excitement I've seen in a long, long time with the trade of a key guy like that. That you know, as you reported brilliantly, just demoralized the entire clubhouse. Okay, yeah. So let's get into that. Um, first of all, the, the the Astros win the beat the night they beat the Astros. It was one of the one of the best baseball games I've watched. Uh, and, I mean, it wasn't like a pretty baseball game, but it was just a crazy, crazy yeah. baseball game and the cavalcade of emotions that ran through it. And and seeing Scott Service out there just screaming at their pitching coach, I think it was, and screaming at that yeah, the Brooks Rayleigh guy. Coach. Yeah. Yeah. And Brooks Rayleigh and, you know, the emotions and like players standing on the field, you know, all that stuff. I mean, I had never it was fun writing that story. You know I mean? It sucked because like a lot changed in the last little bit there. And it was, you know, and I didn't start, like I knew something goofy was going to happen because this team has done a lot this year, but like, it's, it was hard writing that, you know, and you're trying to do it justice, but it's also fun. Like 
watching yeah. those games as a baseball fan, you enjoy watching those games. So, um, so yeah. So then the next let's go like go through the process. So the next day, you know, me and you, we, we, we've already talked about the trade deadline and how they're going to do stuff. You know, I've got sources saying that, you know, they are going to be active and they're looking for the bat and they're looking for, st- obviously we, everybody knew they were looking for a starter. Jerry had said it. Um, and so then I'm driving up and I get a text from a source like, Hey, you know, I think we're going to have a move. And so then like, I was just trying to guess going back and forth and, you know, they were just kind of messing with me. And then, and I knew Montero was, was going to be kind of coming up on the timeline or where they had to put him on waivers or not, or they could trade him. And so I was like, ah, well, it's Montero and somebody. So, you know, and then, and then, and I was like, then they were like, it's with the Astros. And I was like, oh, that's gotta be strange. You know, but I thought maybe it was like an Astros prospect or something. And then, and then when they said it was great, I'm like, no, you got this wrong. And they're like, no, no, here's the trade. It's Toro and Joe Smith for Graveman and Montero. And I'm like, no, this, this can't be right. I go, this is going to be bad. And even my source said, yeah, this, this won't go over well in the clubhouse. And so I get up there, but then like, I didn't tweet it right away. Cause this is when I was driving up. So it's probably, you know, I think I tweeted out that Toro was in a, in a Mariners uniform and they were going to trade him or they had traded for him, but I didn't put all the other parameters in. And because my source said that they were working on something else too. And I didn't know if it was a three, three team trade or what, because they were trying to finish the Anderson trade because Anderson suddenly became available because a, a Phillies prospect failed their um, physical or whatever. And so I was like, I didn't tweet it out right away. Then I tweeted it. And then I, what I, I, I saw Toro out there and I just noticed like on the field, like there was just no energy and it just was really awkward out there. And so I started texting some sources and you're not, I mean, like all hell is breaking loose down here. And so I hurried up and got down there so I could watch kind of what was going on. And obviously, you know, you start talking to players, but I knew the reaction going into it. I mean, like I knew how they were going to take this. And so, you know, and, and honestly, it was more than I expected. Like I knew they'd be pissed off. I mean, I knew Kendall Graveman. um, I've said this before. I've never seen a player in one and a half years become so ingratiated into a team or two years, technically so ingratiated into a leadership role and like take command of a, a leadership role so quickly and be so universally well liked. I mean, there's clicks all over the team, but everybody liked him, you know? And, um, and so I'm like, I just kind of started watching and then, you know, try to talk to a couple of players and two or had tears in their eyes that they didn't want to talk. And one, you know, said, this is BS. And then, you know, then, you know, obviously I talked to a few and people probably know who they are. Well, I talked about four, I think, but I, they know who they are, but I also talked to other players about other players and the reaction. And, and so it was, it was crazy. Like I've covered the trade deadline now in parts of it since 2007. And I've never seen a reaction from a player being traded. I guess I was told last year that players are really upset when Nola and Taiwan were traded last year. Um, but we weren't down there. You know, yeah. I was down there and I was able to talk to these guys off the record. And I think a lot of them were stunned. Like, I mean, you can understand why, can't you? Yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for, for a long, long time and I've never seen a shift of mood like from uh, 
Tuesday to Wednesday. Were those the right days? Monday to um, Tuesday. Monday to Tuesday. Um, then, then that one. I mean, that team was as as jacked up as you can imagine as could possibly be. Uh, and, it was you know, sorry, Larry. I think it was Tuesday to Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, whatever. What are those days? Whatever. And, and they had pulled within one game of the of the A's too. They had all the momentum in the world. You know, they were coming together. Their manager had stood up for them, and then this. Uh, the one that comes to mind, and I wrote a little bit about it because, you know, I was there 1998 when they traded Randy Johnson, also a free agent to be uh, with a team that was kind of borderline in contention uh, to the Astros for Freddie Garcia and John Halama and Carlos Guillen, who were just names at that point. No one really knew who they were. Oh. And I, I actually ended up researching this this week. Uh, it, I called it a near mutiny, and that's what it was. They were just stunned and furious they actually seven team leaders including griffey and buner and dan wilson and alex rodriguez demanded a meeting with with woody woodward for explanations of why they didn't get more in that trade um so that's the one that comes to mind i'm not comparing uh kendall graveman to a to a hall of famer like randy johnson but just the reaction of of the team and in that instance you know, the players turned out to be wrong. And that's the, because Freddie Garcia, it, it was a win for the, the trade was a win for the Mariners. Um, Garcia became their ace. Guillen was the starting shortstop on a team that won 116 games. Uh, Halama was a useful player. Often the point is that often players don't understand the baseball aspect no. of trades. They understand personalities and, and it's, it's often players have, uh, a value within the team that people don't recognize it. That's not commensurate necessarily with their talent level. Some people like Graveman just are magnets to, to leadership magnets. And, you know, you, you trade that at your own risk. And uh, so particularly with the way Toro has played, you could see more that making more sense that, I mean, that <laughs> the Poto has to be uh extremely thankful that that abraham toro has become out like a you know a, like blazing like this because it makes the the whole thing look 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 better but i just have to wonder if they could have gotten toro without trading graveman um to a certain extent the 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 thing that made this far more complicated for jerry is the fact that they won and moved closer if they had been five games out you know kind of borderline it would have been different. I think people would have been more understanding, but one game out, it's just really hard to trade a guy who is the key to a bullpen that has been the key to your success. And you traded the best guy in that bullpen. Yes, he was a free agent to be, and people expected him to be traded, but the, the timing was just monumentally awful, just horrible. And you know, I would have considered, I, I just wonder if he could have delayed making the deal. If the order of the trades had been different, uh, it would have looked better. It, it was just to to drop that in the ex less than 24 hours after that win is just a staggering, uh, to me, miscalculation. And uh, uh, I think you have to seize the opportunity when you're one game out and you don't disrupt the team like that by trading a player that, you know, will disrupt the clubhouse or, or you should know. Yeah. So that's the thing. So baseball, like I understand all the baseball reasons for this trade. He, the Astros picked up 
Montero's money owed, which, you know, I think it was 2.5. So like, you know, there's still money, there's money left over. They picked up the money owed. Great. Graveman is a free agent after this season. I think he wants to test the open market. I've heard conflicting reports on whether or not the Mariners approached him about an extension, but like the last one I heard from a pretty reliable source that they hadn't discussed anything serious with Graveman about bringing him back or extending him. I guess ultimately they could go back and get him on the, on the open market. Like, like they could have with Taiwan Walker yeah. said they would, but never yeah. really did. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so yeah, I was, what was I saying now? It's just spaced out, you know, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Oh yeah, no, but like, um, with Grayman and then, um, but yeah, so I understand the baseball aspect of it. Like Toro is a nice player. He's a switch hitter. You know, he, he's got a nice uh, prospect. I mean, he was never considered like an elite, elite prospect. He was top five in a pretty good organization for the, the Astros. But I, I don't think he's ever a top 100, but they liked him. They identified him as a talented guy that could help them down the road. You know, um, yeah, it's similar to, you know, he wasn't like he never even elevated to what J.P. Crawford was and fell. He just was kind of a guy that was blocked and the, the Mariners identified him. Um, and, yeah, they're trying to take advantage of how bad the Astros bullpen looked the night before. And, you know, DePoto mentioned that the Montero timeline made it. But you're right. Like you wonder, hey, like maybe if they give Montero and throw in Drew Steckenrider and another guy, can you get can you get that instead? I mean, great. Grayman was the main piece that everybody is scouting because you know he's the best pitcher but you wonder and then so yeah like that aspect of it all like i get why it makes sense i get all that stuff but at the same time i also get why players don't think that way you ask players i mean the mariners talk about where your feet are at you know they always that's their thing you know focus on where your feet are at yeah I i don't know which um you know, self-help book or whatever they got that from, but like, um, so it's like these guys live day to day. Like they don't to them, you know, and and Toro's come in and played well, but to them, it's, it's not so much about what you're adding. It's what you're taking away, you know? And, and, and they didn't understand like the, they didn't understand the overall goals or the overall plan, you know, for as much as they say, they don't read what we write or they don't, they heard, what Jerry DePoto and they all knew that Jerry DePoto said, I'm going to add pieces to this team. And it felt like such an accomplishment for them. Like in talking to those guys to take three or four from the, from the A's and then beat the Astros. And they had such a good homestand, like everything that everything that everybody thought they needed to do for the Mariners to help them make a push, they did. And so then like the first thing you do is trade away your closer. Who's the, one of your bigger leaders on the team. Like, of course they're not going to understand it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it, it'd be like, you know, and it's, it's equated to, and, and like people are like, Oh, yo, they're baseball players. They make lots of money. They got to get over it. No, because Scott service sits there and preaches about family. And he preaches about these guys to be themselves and to be their own persons. And he's not going to, he's not going to punish them for being themselves. Well, they were themselves and they were upset and they talked about it. You know, people are like, why would you say that? Well, because that's what, that's what they've been preached as part of the culture is to speak your mind. It's no different. Like if you're going to speak your mind about social issues, you can speak your mind about being unhappy with the direction of your job or where it's going. It's not like it's not a crime and it doesn't do anything to the detriment of the team, especially when everybody on the team is feeling that way. And some of the leaders spoke up because they felt like other players couldn't, you know, and and I, I just, I get all of like that. And the reaction was crazy. 
And then, and I guess we can get in this. I mean, should DePoto have come down there and let those guys, let the team, and granted from the reaction I heard and like, and the throwing of things and the anger, it maybe it was best not to, but at some point you, you have to kind of outline why you did what you did. You know, I guess, I mean, he's the boss, I guess he's the boss and they're the employee, but I mean, in terms of like building this culture, this relationship, and there was already a whole lot of trust lacking from the front office to the players. So I don't know. I, I don't, you know, the whole business of him coming down, I think that's just a, a, a side a red herring. I, I don't think that would have helped anything at all. And I've never heard of a GM really doing that. Some GMs just prefer to stay, you know, to stay separate from the, the uh, inner workings of the clubhouse. You know, you, you don't want to get too close to the guys, I guess, because you might have to, to trade them and, and they'll feel betrayed if, if they feel like you're, you're a friend. So, I mean, I don't, I just think that was them venting their anger and looking for something to lash out at. But uh, yeah, yeah, I hundred percent agree with you. This, these are human emotions that they are definitely going to feel. And I just wonder if maybe Depoto underestimated the the depth of the uh, of the feeling that the team was going to have, and the the uh, and how upset they were. And you know, it's I think it's a really very real question of whether you can <laughs> whether they're going to be able to bounce back from that. They 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 they, they suffered the four out of five losses in the next five games, including two losses to a Texas team. That's as bad as any team and probably the worst team in the majors. Now they lost 14 out of 15. They had traded away any good players that they had. And yet they pulled out two wins. And, uh, and I, uh, you, I, I think this it definitely can be attributed to sort of this general malaise that, that, the team fell victim to after, after these moves that there just was something missing. And I honestly think that, uh, that that's going to be a problem the rest of the way. I think something was irretrievably lost, some sort of, some sort of spark or feeling. And, you know, you're right that after all that, the team rightfully expected this big boost that other teams made look at Toronto look at the Yankees look at the A's they all made kind of go for it moves and no yeah you don't trade away uh Julio or Kelnick or or, or any of those guys but uh, I just wonder if more could have been done without dipping into those guys and when you look at the whole thing in, in totality the moves that followed which I'm sure we'll we'll get into you know I'm not so sure how much better they are uh, compared to if they even if they had done nothing, well, they had to go get a an Anderson, but they could have done that without making the other moves. Basically, they substituted Castillo for for Graveman and and uh, and added added Tor, uh, uh, Toro. And is that enough to propel a team to the wild card? I, I, I doubt it. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. Um... Yeah, I just it's like a, baseball players have a better ability to compartmentalize emotion, failure, anger, whatever, and move forward better than a lot of people do. Um, yeah. But like, I mean, again, 
they are robots and, and, and you do, there is a level of emotion and it does affect you and it wears on you and you're, you don't just forget it. Yeah. They, they can go and focus on the game at hand and play really hard, but it's there, you know, because it's just draining. I think it's just, I think it was an emotionally draining week, the anticipation, you know, the excitement, then the disappointment and the anticipation. And I think some level of meh, you know, like what they got, you can, I, they're a better team probably than they were before the trade deadline on some level. Like they're a better organization. Like they're 40. I, I don't know necessarily with the way Toro's playing right now. And it's just the right now they're a better team right now. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, like, is their bullpen better? I, I don't know these things. So um, yeah. So like the, the Mariners had actually been working on the Castillo trade before the trade deadline and they just couldn't get it and they had to give up Shenton and like, you know, and I don't, and DePoto said that one hurt, you know, he's a, a really nice bat that doesn't really have a position. I think he's only a year younger than Toro and he's only at double a, but again, like the Rays, they, you know, he'll probably make something out of him. Um, and they gave up Chargois. So you, you really, you took two pieces away who have been valuable for, for you for one. Yeah. And then and um, the, the, the big thing about, Castillo's on one. He's been a closer. He's, he's a closer. He's pitching the postseason, which I mean, I guess that matters if you get there. And then he has three years of club control, but all three years are arbitration eligibility. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to probably make at least 2 million. I don't know the, the algorithm, but you know, 1.2. Do you, I mean, like given the nature of relievers and you know, how fickle they can be um, given how arbitration works, is he going to pitch all three years with the Mariners, do you think? Yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, I'm instantly suspicious when an organization as astute as Tampa Bay is willing to part with a guy who's young and uh, club control and seemingly pitching well. What, you know, what, what do they know? And, you know, you, you wrote about the rumblings of the fact that they're discontent with his conditioning. And, you know, he does, he is a big guy who, uh, could obviously <laughs> looks like he could use to get in better shape and the back to with whether he could go back to back because of that. And the first time he goes back to back, he coughs up the game against Texas. So uh, yeah, that's my, you know, my question is why <laughs> my first question was why did Tampa Bay make this trade? They're, they're the defending American league champions and they're, they have the designs on getting back to the world series. You trade the guy that's been your closer. What's up with that? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Like his his velocity's been down a couple of ticks, and like, and everybody talks about the slider, but you know the slider is what he gave up the home run on. And there's like one out of every three sliders just kind of as a cement mixer. It's ninety, but it just spins. But yeah, so the guy, the look, the sources I have that I talk to, I trust them when I when I when they say that the the race had concerns about his weight and his ability to you know bounce back from outings and uh, a regression or an injury because of just the lack of conditioning that he just, he's just not into it, you know? And, and, and not always is the lack of conditioning mean you're tired or you, you do get hurt, but like what you see sometimes is when you're that severely out of shape or you're carrying extra weight, it's hard to repeat your delivery consistently. And then that leads to command being off. So I, I, I just think like, look, the Rays took a 30-year-old pitcher, gave up, what, a 26-year-old pitcher with one extra year of club control. And that's, you know, Chagua's 
under club control next year. And then he goes to arbitration the year after that. So you're saving some money next year and the Rays do that, but usually they wait till they'll usually let him get to that first year of arbitration. And then that second year they trade him. So, yeah, I, I find it curious, you know, you're kind of like, are, are they getting sold up the river? I don't know. We'll see with, we'll see with Castillo. Maybe he's great now. Maybe he's bad next year. Like, again, like you don't know, but you know, you're giving up a lot to get him. He seems like a nice enough dude. The stuff is when it's right, it's, it's pretty good. But again, like you said, the, the Rays are really smart about this stuff and they yeah. don't, they don't usually, you know, give up arms that easily unless they know that there's regression or there's something not working or, you know, money thing that it doesn't represent value to them. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. And Shenton, you know, you, you wonder if he's going to, you know, he's got some promise too. He could come back and haunt you uh, uh, down the road as well. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, the the whole thing, Ryan, that, that gets me is that, you, you like we've been talking about you were one game out and these opportunities just don't come and you just wonder if they were looking at their metrics that showed that they really didn't have much of a chance uh because you know Fangraph still had them at a seven percent chance of making the playoffs uh but you know this is an organization that, that we're tired of talking about pushing 20 years without being in the playoffs that when you get a chance like this, which you've been rare and precious, uh, I think you maximize going from it. There is no guarantee that they're going to be back here next year contending. But no, uh, everything was predicated, I think, on building, a, uh, putting them in a better position for, for next year, in which they may have done with, with, with Toro. But this year, I don't think they necessarily did put themselves in a better position. Yeah, it's yeah. arrogant. It's arrogant to think that you'll be back there next year because it's, uh, so many things have had to go right this year for them to be in this position. We've talked right. about their one run rec- their 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 record in one run games and the extra inning wins and how good their bullpen is gonna has been, how locked down it's been. Like that's so many things have gone right, and even you know, like you know, you have that many heroics, and we've talked about it too. Like a lot of the the people that are key for them to be here might not be back next year. You know, Kyle Seager won't be back next year and he's, he's produced a lot and Mitch Hanniger, there's a good chance that they trade him in the off season and, you know, and, and the, and the pieces, you know, you'll, you'll have, I mean, Kelnick, he's starting to hit a little bit now, but what has he done? And Evan White hurt, you know, Ty France will be around next year and, and this Toro kid and JP, but, you know, you don't know what Cal Raleigh is or isn't right now. I guess, you know, you have Kyle Lewis. I mean, I mean like, yeah. if, if we if we sat there and scratched out a roster next year, a projected roster for the 2021 season or 2022 season without, at, like, without adding significant free agent pieces to it, I mean, does it look like a wild card roster? No. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's the thing. The, the three cornerstone prospects that, we're supposed to come into fruition by the start of, you know, it's a moving target, but certainly by the start of 2022 or Kelnick, Lewis and white. And all of them are question marks at this point for health or performance reasons. Raleigh is a question mark, as you said, and I mean, Gilbert looks like he's a, he's the real deal. You know, when, when will Julio uh, arrive? Who knows? You don't know um, anything about justice, justice Sheffield or Justin Dunn. Right. I mean, the rotation looks fairly solid with Kikuchi 
Flexen, Gilbert, and who knows about Marco, you know. Yeah, you could trade him you know, too. Yeah, we off the off the air, we've talked about the possibility that, that he could be traded. And then the young pitchers that they come, who knows if they're going to come. And then, then the other factor is, and I, you know, we've talked about this, we're, we're, we're free, free agents. What happened here and the you know, players talk and as upset as the players were, will that hamper them in, in, in signing free agents next year when presumably, I mean, I would be, uh, I think it's incumbent on them to, to get two splash signings next year. They almost have to at least do. Will, will, will that be uh, compromised by the fact that players will say negative things about Seattle? What do you think? I mean, it could. Like the, the organization doesn't have a great reputation among the players. And, you know, players leave and they kind of trash it. And, and some of them have right every right to trash it. And, and like, that's an issue. I had an agent during all this say, look, I'm I'll try to steer my clients away from there if possible. Obviously money matters most and what my player wants most, but at the same time, like, you know, I want, you know, you want your player to be happy. And so it's kind of like, okay. Um, and I mean, like the matter thing, you know, that, that lingers still. And, and that's one thing I was going to mention. Do you think, you know, obviously don't you think that there's just like a little bit of a distrust of upper management, you know, I think the players associate Depoto with Mather and all those guys. I think there's a basic distrust of everything that's went down. Like they knew what happened in free agency. They were all ang- angry. You know, it wasn't just Marco or Kyle. I mean, JP Crawford talked about like he was tired of people talking about building. He didn't want to hear the words rebuilding or he's tired of it. He's like, why can't we focus on winning? You know, and you know, uh, several of these younger players that are, you know, like you've talked about, didn't understand why they didn't bring Taiwan back and they didn't understand how they didn't get Colton Wong. I mean, like the stuff you're trading for now, too, was stuff that could have been handled in the offseason. And so it's like, I think that played a factor into the reaction from the players as well as there's a distrust of what's happening, you know, or like for some players too, like they know that they're not a part of the rebuild. You know, and so it's like they get tired of hearing about the rebuild and that's all they talk about and hear, talk about the future. And then like, you know, when Jerry makes the Toro movie, he says, well, this is just as much about the future. Well, the players don't want to hear it. Like, and I guarantee you, the players who are part of the future don't want to hear about the future when they're talking about the now about trying to beat the Astros, you know, and trying to, you know, trying to handle that. So um, it was Seattle's always been a hard sell for free agents that historical yeah. because of where they are in the travel. Yeah. You know, I think Bavese said you had to overpay a certain percentage to get top flight free agents to come here. And they did that with uh, Sexton and, and Beltre. I mean, they did it with, uh, Can- they did it with Cruz. They did it with, Can- yeah. they really did it with Cano. They overpaid against themselves, but like Cruz, who I got 58 million for four years, which is like probably their best free agent signing they've ever had. Yeah. Right. Um, Nobody wanted to give him a fourth year, and Jackson Renzik gave him the fourth year when nobody else would. You know, the fourth year guaranteed. Yeah, but and then you have the Mather stuff, which it I, that will that resonates with people. That was a huge deal. That was nationwide publicity, bad headlines, and uh, I think that just is another obstacle that they'll have in in luring people here and. I do think it led to a distrust within the team as well, because it, it put out into the world 
you know, things that are probably said in every organization behind the, the scenes, frank evaluations of players uh, beyond the, the incendiary stuff and the objectionable offensive stuff. A lot of it was just frank uh, and sometimes unflattering evaluation of players didn't have that heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't a player when <laughs> we talked about it at the time, there was barely a player on the roster who didn't wasn't pissed off after that. Yeah. So yeah, that does lead, I'm sure to a, to a distrust of management. I, I, he, ma- he, he managed overcome. to, he managed to dehumanize a lot of those guys, you know, like made them, you know, like they just weren't humans or just like uh, widgets, you know, they just were whatever. And, and I, it bothered them, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I was told by a couple of players and I don't think this is the reason Kendall was traded. And also he wasn't traded because he wasn't vaxxed because if that was the case, there'd be like six other, seven other players that would be gone too. They're not hmm. getting to 85%. They're just not ever going to get to 85%. Um, but like I was told that at the meeting that, you know, the infamous fart in a church meeting that DePoto had with the players out on the field, that the Graveman just kind of stood up and wasn't like, you know, a jerk about it or whatever, but just say, Hey, look, it's pretty clear. He goes, I think he said something like they were saying, like he said, you know, in the year and the little bit of time I've been here, it's quite clear that there's a disconnect between the front office and the players. There's no communication and there's a distrust because of this disconnect and you need to fix it. And it's on you to fix it because it's not coming from our side. It's coming from the front office. And, and I mean, you know, that resonates. I mean, that's, and I think that's one of the reasons why Kendall was so beloved by teammates is that he stood up at times and said what needed to be, what they want, they weren't willing to say because, you know, they weren't, they don't have the cachet or the status, you know, you can't, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're, you know, Eric Swanson or somebody like that, you can't get up and, and get, you know, say something to Jerry DePoto or Scott Service, but Graveman can because he's respected and, he, you know, and so it was, <laughs> and I don't know, like, and that's another thing, like everybody's talking about the clubhouse chemistry. It's become the running trope on, on Twitter. Neither you nor I wrote that clubhouse chemistry is the be all end all. I think we both said before that a lot of times it's a product of winning, but that's yeah. what they were doing was winning and they had pretty good clubhouse chemistry. Now it was disrupted. We're not saying that it's going to turf the season or the clubhouse chemistry matters more than talent or anything like that, but it has a factor, you know, like, you know, I mean, like we have our group of guys at the times and, and we get along, you know, me and you and Adam and, and Bob, we hang out a ton and, and stuff. And like, if that was disrupted, yeah, it would affect me. I mean, like, that's what I don't like people can't use baseball and look at baseball in the vacuum of, of the emotion of what, you know, like or dislike or your job perception as being that much different. Yeah. They make a lot more money and yeah, it's a game, but at the same time, you're, you're spending all these, this time with these, these same people and they preach it to be a family and you kind of start feeling like it is a family. And then one of them's taken away largely without explanation. And that was the result. Yeah, I mean, I mean I, if they took you away, Larry, I'd be upset. <laughs> I think I think we Would all you... I think we all know if out of the four of me, you, Adam, and Bob, who the first one to be gone would be, and I, I he's his name is Ryan, but yeah, um, or yeah, I, don't know, I'm, I might age out before before that, but um, yeah, uh, 
I can't remember what I was going to say now, but um, it, I agree in general that clubhouse chemistry uh, is <laughs> sometimes it, it doesn't dictate winning, but winning dictates clubhouse chemistry. But this is a unique situation. Again, I mean, in in 35 years of covering baseball, again, I've never seen such a mood swing and such bad timing in, in a trade. And I think, I do think that this will have, uh, I think it will have lingering uh, uh, effects. And, you know, the only thing that could save the Mariners is sort of uh, them, that's the only thing that could save the Mariners, but a, a thing that could happen is that there's kind of an us against them, uh, screw it, we'll, we'll show them kind of, kind of thing that where everyone, it brings everybody together. And you know, they had an encouraging series against Tampa. This is a huge series against the Yankees, who they're they're fighting for the wild card. One of if they had passed everybody, that was the thing that to me made them more viable and uh, realistic. Is that it wasn't a case of they had all these teams to pass. They had passed the Yankees. They had passed the Blue Jays uh, and the Indians. They only had one team ahead of them. It was the A's. Now they've been passed by the Yankees and I'm not sure about the Blue Jays. I think the Blue Jays too, who both got a jolt of, of energy from the, from the trade deadline. So um, I think in this case that the chemistry is really important and it, and it's going to be fascinating to see how they can pull together after this um, and, and recover. Honestly, I, I think the us against them mentality started this season, started in spring. It started when we talked to JP and Marco and they, they talked about like they were tired of hearing about rebuilds and they, they, they focus on winning. They don't care what, you know, they made a point to say like, we don't care what they're saying their expectations are. Our expectations were to win. I think they were frustrated about the off season. Then you throw the Mather stuff on it. I think they had the us against them mentality you know us versus the front office and and what they think we are versus who we think we are i think you know and and i'm sorry but i can guarantee you that regardless of what anybody says they've outperformed the expectations of depoto and all the front office and probably service in those guys yeah that's the thing that's what if you take <laughs> if you just take a snapshot of where they are compared to where we thought they'd be now they are the biggest overachieving team in baseball this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've, they're, who, we, we, we thought 90 plus losses and here they are. They reached nine games over 500 with that comeback win over the Astros. Um, and then, which is amazing now that the feel, the feel is among fans for the most part is that, uh, is negative <laughs> and it wasn't, it, it turned negative. I mean, I, I, I'd hate to see your inbox, but my inbox, I've never gotten such vitriol and I've got, you know, there's been a lot of moments that have pissed off fans over the years, but this one tops tops it all really in the response that I got and saw on Twitter. And, and that was just at a point when they had won credibility back and they had won the fans back. That's also a, uh, uh, a fallout of this that you have to measure i think you know you need to get the fans behind you and they were and then uh, the outrage after that trade 
was unprecedented and there's been a lot of outrage over the years. Yeah. I mean, I, I held, <laughs> the outrage got, I, the outrage reached peak heights when Castillo just threw that yeah. cement mixer to Jonah Heim yeah. and he deposited in the stands. I mean, like, holy yeah. cow, Twitter went insane. And granted, yeah. Twitter is the lunatic fringe of the Mariners fan base. But, you know, when you're getting I'm getting voicemails and emails and probably handwritten letters from people just just irritated. Yeah. Yeah, that was the peak. I think when that ball, I don't think the ball had reached the stands when you emailed me or texted me and said, uh, uh, rest in peace, my mentions or something. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> you, like, oh, you knew it was coming. It came, to, it came to me too. And oh. yeah, that was, that, they, they came back and won the next two games, which I, I, I kind of thought that that might be the, the, uh, the beginning of a, long bad streak so i give them credit for that for coming back and beating tampa two games but that was those two losses were devastating back to back yeah i don't get tampa by the way but yeah it was um yeah we haven't even talked about tyler anderson but i don't want to talk about him because he didn't show up for his (laughs) post-game interview so like we didn't even i haven't even spoken to tyler anderson since he's been here yeah um that was an encouraging start until it wasn't yeah the sixth inning i mean it was fine like that's all if they can get that out of him they'll take it yeah Um, yeah they needed that desperately uh yeah it was just you're right i like i i guess i never really get too hard i i think for me the only thing that i got kind of upset with is is like there are some fans like oh you sensationalize this and i can tell you that i did not and even like anything you probably underplayed it oh anything from yeah. So like the next day when you asked Scott about this and he's like, and he only had one th- thing he could say, well, you know, it's been blown way out of proportion. You know, the players heard it and, and staff heard it and everything. And, and, um, and heard what? well, that Scott said that, you oh, know, that I blew, yeah. that it has been blown way out of proportion. Right. And um, I had um, a younger player say, nope, properly proportioned. And then I had, <laughs> And I had a member of his coaching staff goes, actually, you probably were underproportioned because he goes, I've never seen anything like it ever, you know, and I've and several people within the organization said they have never seen a reaction that viscerally negative and angry and hurt. I mean, I like you, I saw Dunn and Sheffield in tears walking out to the field, you know, to do the rehab. I mean, like, you know, they're in tears and players are in tears and Graveman is in tears. And I, you know, it's just like, and he may not have said it on the thing, but I've talked to several people that Scott knew that this was going to be bad and he didn't really understand it at the time. Because I think in Scott's mind is like, yeah, Abraham Toro is nice, but I got to walk through this. You know, I got to walk through the ashes of the freaking house fire that you just started to try and put it out and then like rebuild it. And so, I, I mean, I don't think that like he loved the trade because I think I'm probably in his mind too. He's like, yeah, Abraham Toro is a very nice player and he's helping us out and we really like him. But man, tell me we had to give up Graven. We couldn't have given up somebody else, you know? Yeah. Again, like it, I don't think the reaction is if it's Chargois or Steckenrider, Seawall maybe, but 
you know, Graven was just different level because again, like he wasn't just a leader of the bullpen. Like he was on their leadership, like Scott calls it his leadership council. Well, he's the one who put him up there. And and you got to remember Graven was a former starter and Dunn and Sheffield and Marco and those guys all love him. And then like, then he's in the bullpen. And then like, he goes out and hangs out with the infielders during early work every day, you know, and hangs out with them. And so it's like, he was, it was pretty, pretty interesting. I got a hypothetical for you on this, Larry. Do you think DePoto would have rather had them given the frenzy of what we (laughs) saw that people were getting? Do you think DePoto would have preferred, I wouldn't say preferred, but in the back of his mind going, man, what could I have gotten if we were eight games out of the wild card? And I was trading Kendall, Mitch, Seawald, probably Terenz, because they had calls on Terenz. Uh, Seager, maybe. (laughs) Seager, yeah. Um, I'm hearing weird things on Seager, whether there was a possible deal in place and he nixed it, but I don't think so. I don't know. I got to see. Uh, who else? I mean, who else could they like? He could have traded anybody, and you got, yeah, I mean, Stecken Rider or any yeah. of those bullpen. Those, I mean, those, and, and you saw bullpen. what some of the stuff was getting back. Like, you know, what would Hanniger get back if you know yeah. a year and a half of him? I don't know if he would have wanted that or preferred that. I, I do think he would have thrived in that situation. Oh, yeah, trader, trader Jerry, and he hasn't really had a chance to be trader Jerry for a, for a yeah. while now. Uh, it's certainly what's what's interesting is that when we were handicapping like three weeks ago, who was vulnerable to be traded at the trade deadline? Kendall Graveman was at the top of the list. It's not yeah. like it's a shock that no. he was traded. He's a free agent to be. But at that point, they were not that close in the wild card race. They were six, seven out. They made that up in a hurry. Yeah. And uh, so, you, you know, there was a there was a baseball call reason to trade Kendall Graveman. It just was the unbelievable timing of, uh, of it. So yeah. um, it would have been a lot easier for Jerry to make those moves in, in a different context. Uh, if they had lost three out of four to Oakland, instead of one, three out of four, not only would they have been farther back, but you could say, well, we're just not in the same league as those guys. And it would, it would not have caused the uproar. It was just the perfect storm of, of events that that made the trade that probably Jerry f- had been realizing was a you know this is a guy we, that we can get something for, but yeah that would have been fascinating to see them join the the teams the Cubs the Twins and the Rangers most notably who just uh, put Nats. a fire sale up the Nats as uh, well Nats yeah, yeah the Nats those those four teams it was it was a fire sale any you know come take anybody and it was a seller's market because there's a lot of teams uh sniffing the wild card is there that happens every year now since they went to the second wild card there's a handful of five six teams who have to outfit all the other contenders for the stretch drive Uh, i don't know if it's good for baseball to have five or six teams who become horrible for two months uh become borderline minor league teams trying out prospects um, and for, for two whole months at the trade after the trade deadline, the, the Cubs and the Nationals suddenly are just, uh, you know, they're just a bunch of, uh, they, they, they have a few bona fide major leaguers, but 
not enough to be a formidable team. So that's a whole nother thing. But the Mariners could have easily been in that boat if they had had a little bit of a, of a tailspin instead of getting hot. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I phrase it wrong. I don't think he wanted to, but I think in the back of his mind, he's probably wondering, man, what could I have gotten for all these guys? You know, like I could have got a lot. Yeah. You know? But it, it, you know, it, I mean, not to quote Seager, at some point, though, you got to build your big league roster. You know, it can't always be about like building your system and building depth. And, and, yeah, and that's yeah. important. But, and I've, like we mentioned it, you know, I've talked about it. And, you know, it's get it from one source. So I'm trying to get it verified from the other. But like, uh, like the, the asks were pretty ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like the, the one, one I heard was like, well, Kansas City for Whit Merrifield, they asked for, Julio and really I'm sure Kansas city Dayton Moore knew that the Mariners were never going to part with Julio and they didn't really want to part with with Mirrorfield. So like, if you're going to trade him, you're going to ask for the world because you just might, if you just might get it, you know, similar to like, like our, our dream, our dream player, Brian Reynolds, you know, and then I think they went after Brian Anderson of the, the Marlins a little bit too. And um, I don't know. It just, the asks, I guess were pretty huge. Yeah. If they if they traded Julio for uh, Merrifield, I think the the yeah that would have been the, re- the revolt would have been even stronger among fans because Julio has been built up so so much and rightly so. I, yeah, I mean that's ridiculous. You can't you can't make that that trade. But uh, Merrifield would have been a nice get. Uh, as it turns out. I mean, I bet Toro has probably produced as much yeah. as, as any uh, trade deadline acquisition anywhere in the majors or close. It'd be, I, I'd like to compare his numbers with you know, against Rizzo or uh, um, Gallo or, or any of the other guys who position players who switch hands. Right now, he's, uh, he's got to be right up there. Uh, so we'll... Uh get to one other thing that happened during the, the trade week. So like we're, we're at the, the Mariners game, the crazy Astros win. And uh, I think it was, or was it, it wasn't the crazy Astros win. Was it that day or was it at the, after they took three or four, but so Larry wanted to write about the Mariners, but it wasn't his writing day. And so then like, so Matt Calkins is going to write, but Larry still wants to write Mariners. So then he comes up with the idea, well, I'm going to write that they need to extend Jerry and Scott. And that you, column, had to bring, you had to bring this up, didn't the, you? The <laughs> column comes out. The column literally comes out online. And like an hour later, the news on the Less Graveman. than an hour. It was like 20 minutes. Yeah. I think the news on the Graveman trade breaks. And I just, I was just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. It was. <laughs> I've never had worse. I've never had worse timing. I mean, I was, the idea came in the, in the wake of that win and yeah. the, the biggest win we can ever remember. Uh, I'm sure there's, there's obviously been bigger wins, but it's the, this huge comeback that puts them nine games over and w- uh, one game out. Uh, and so I thought that they've done, they've overachieved this year. Jerry's built a team that uh, the, the, the rebuild is coming together quicker than, than, uh, you know, anyone expected in the context of <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Don't it's laugh just, at me. It was this... oh. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I didn't know he was going to make a trade that was going to, that was going to outrage uh, every single, 
entity that they had, the two biggest uh, entities, the fans and, and the players. So, um, you know, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> the uh, that's, just, that's not a loss. That's like a that's a buzzer beater after you've traveled with the you know like right. yeah yeah I, I you know I still think that I still think the rebuild is a plus, and Jerry's the architect of the rebuild. I just so think you, that this this was a mis, this was a misstep. Yeah, uh, a, a big misstep in my mind. But even that, you know. If Toro turns into an all-star caliber everyday player in three years, no one will remember Kendall Graveman. I mean, he's uh, starting to help him forget now, but it'll be regarded as a win. It's just that in the in the moment, it's uh, it's easy to, to look at it the other way. So, um, and service, you know, even coming back to to take this series against Tampa, he. You know, every time he's guided them through a lot of crap this year, starting with uh, Mather. And uh, I think that reflects well on the manager when you have a team that's gone through injuries, gone through the turmoil of your uh, spring training like they did and still had them in the playoff hunt, very much in the playoff hunt. So that was my reason. It's just bad timing. So a week after you've written, or a couple of weeks after, it's like ten days, eight days after you've written that. Do you think they should be brought back? <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say yes, but <laughs> what? I don't think I have no problem bringing them back. You made a face when I say. I'm well, I know. <laughs> well, it's like you know, own it. Just say, hell yeah, I was right the first time. I'm right today. Yeah. I'll be right well, tomorrow. um i just wish that i wish that that had come down differently and i it would be a lot easier to to stand behind that but i'll i'll stand behind it because i i how damaging would it be to to change architects this this far into a rebuild Um, Uh, i don't know yeah i mean it's it's really weird yeah i mean like i don't even know you know i don't think they want to change i'd have no problem with them bringing them back i mean they've, they've done the work so far you might as well let them see if they can finish it you know whether or not they're, they're liked by the players is immaterial at this point i don't you know i don't I think the that, players who the most vehemently against them will probably the most, be, yeah, gone. be gone yeah or they yeah. may be gone sooner than they think but yeah um or are yeah. or are already good <laughs> yeah you know i mean like and you don't have to like your bosses to be good at your job. I, I mean, like, look, I think, you know, look, to, a lot of people hated Tony LaRusso when they played for him, but they were good, you know, and, and you hated, you know, like not everybody's beloved like Bobby Cox, you know what I mean? Like he's a lot of managers are disliked, you know, but it's whether or not you get the players to play for whatever reason, whether it's they're playing for themselves because they rally around each other because they don't like you or they don't like something that's going on or you just set a tone. And I think that's one thing that service has done is set the tone of the expectation level of what you're supposed to do every day, you know, and and that's what you're, that's the expectation of how you're supposed to prepare or we'll get rid of you. And I do think that like, you know, he, I don't think he reprimanded these guys that, you know, I'm sure he has his ideas who spoke out and who didn't, because I think they also got in his face or they had meetings about it. Um, 
you know, and I don't think he held that against him because he's preached this idea, you know, be yourself. We want you to be yourself. As long as you're not upsetting the team or hurting something or being a detriment, be yourself. And so in all those ways, yeah, I have no problem with them bringing them back. I mean, like, what else are you going to do? I, but I, it's, it's, it's strange to me that they haven't. And I've heard that like, there have been talks with Jerry to get this done. Maybe they're worried about the jinx factor of it all. Like the last time they gave Jerry the extension and Scott, the extension, they went into that tailspin and they's caught him. But like, look, if you believe that they're the ones that do this, then do it. I, I'm, I'm guessing that maybe like the fallout from that initial trade and how it all went down. And even like Jerry's comments to try and like soften it didn't really go over well with some of the ownership group or, you know, the fan base. And they have to be reflective in the thinking of that. But I'd have no problem bringing them back. Yeah. I mean, I do think that this could have hurt his chances. I think where they were, you know, just any kind of normal trade deadline trades that didn't cause outrage, even if whether they worked or not, if you if you made the effort, uh, I think you could point to this whole season as nothing but a plus Uh, uh, this just colored things in such a amazing way Uh, changed the whole feeling from it it just, I mean, I shake my head to think about it, to see the the 180 degree switch that still lingers in to a certain extent till today. I mean, that, that could very well change the, the calculus on 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 bringing those guys back it really could all right so the, the we'll wrap it up because we've been going for a while the mariners have four games versus the yankees an off day i get to come home three versus the round rock rangers and then hmm. and then three against the toronto blue jays so seven games against teams you're directly competing with yeah what do you think they're going to do over the 10 games total well, they they have to face the uh, the Blue Jays on the road. No, it's at uh, home. No, it's on the road because it's the Blue Jays. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, but no. Canada isn't open yet, so they can't. Yeah, I know. That was my little joke. Oh yeah. Um. Uh. I, yeah, I was saying this to someone else. I don't think it'll be the same this year because it's so hard to cross the border yeah. and back and forth. So maybe this will be the first time they play the the Blue Jays without a full crowd of blue jays fans in about five or six years uh how many games are there 10 total three against the rangers the round rock rangers not the texas rangers um three against the blue jays and four against the yankees uh i don't think they have round rock anymore don't they didn't they switch with uh... i don't know i just like it when john blake was (laughs) called up from round rock (laughs) uh four and six uh, four and six, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's about right. You know, Logan didn't look great today. I mean, he's just, I don't think he's hitting the wall or anything, but it just, yeah. no, it's tough. I mean, like if he doesn't command, it's tough. Um, yeah, I think four and six or three and seven, I, maybe they get a performance. You know, Marco's looked a little bit better at times. Uh, Kikuchi, yeah, you know, I just, that's a tough lineup to navigate. The Yankees, it'll just wear you down, you know, and they're, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, uh, I'll, yeah, I'll say four and six as well. 
Four and um, six, if with four and six, could put them in trouble because if one oh, of yeah. those other teams goes seven and three and you drop three more games and suddenly you're five out, it's going to be hard to make a move from that. Round Rock is still their AAA affiliate. I, yeah, I, I think it was maybe their double A that they switched. Any thoughts on the uh, 2022 schedule coming out? Other than I get uh, to go to my first thought was on your behalf. I was looking first thing I always check is the uh, the interleague road games and. You've got uh, D.C. for the Nationals. You've got Miami, uh, the Marlins, and New York for the Mets. So those are three good trips mm-hmm. uh, for for interleague. Um, and I mean, Detroit's an interesting team. To Detroit's actually a team on the rise. They're playing really good baseball. I think oh. I think I saw that they have the best record over a certain stretch besides the Astros and the Mariners. Uh, they look like they've really turned a corner with their rebuild. So that could be a, a tough series for them to open with. Um, but, you know, I didn't really look, be honest, I haven't even studied it yet. So No, I mean, like you noticed the 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 road trips. I I will get to see City Field, which will be my last park to get all 30 teams, which is good. There is a uh, two-game series in San Diego over July 4th yeah. and 5th with an off day afterwards. <laughs> See you in about four or five days on that one. <laughs> yeah, um, we know you're going to where you're going to spend all, your off day. That's all dependent on the CBA going through and anything else that's going through. But yeah, oh. not having a COVID uh, yeah. um, outbreak that makes that makes it so that we don't travel. Again. So, Larry, after those 10 games, are the Mariners going to be in striking distance of the A's? Which I my, to me, striking distance is three and a half to four games. I think they'll be right on the fringe of that um, four or five. That's the way I see it. Yeah. That's be- striking. That is striking distance. But again, now you kind of, it, it's become a, a three team thing again, where you've got to, yeah. you can, you don't have to just catch the A's. The, the, the Yankees are resurgent and the Blue Jays. I, I kind of think the Blue Jays might be the best team uh, of all of those. Uh, they have that incredible lineup and, and they added, um, who was the pitcher they added? Rios. Rios. Yeah. I mean, a really good pitcher. Uh, so they're, they're, they're really dangerous. I would not at all be surprised that if they, if they ended up being the, the, the team, the, I mean, I assume that the Red Sox and the, and the Rays, whichever one wins that division, the other one will be the number one wild card. But, uh, and I assume that the, the Astros will hold off the A's. I think it's going to come down to the, the Yankees. Uh, I think the Indians are probably not as a big factor right now. I think it's Yankees, no. Blue, Yankees, Blue Jays, Mariners. Hey, yeah, I agree completely. All right. You going to write anything else about anybody else that they should like, you know, extend or anything like that? You know, got anything I'm going to write that. That Ryan Divis should be given a lifetime contract. And, yeah, yeah. I don't and think, and then you'll do something stupid like the, the second I write it. So, um. well, I mean, that's a given. I might do something <laughs> stupid here in the next twenty minutes. You never know. So, all right. Well, we'll wrap it up. And okay. Thanks, man. Have fun in Tampa. Have fun I, in Tampa. Today. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. Is Jerry Depoto talking on Thursday after the Diego Castillo trade, and then Friday afternoon after the trade deadline ends? Uh, a couple different clips, but some information there you might want to hear.
Hey everyone, can you hear me? Yeah. Awesome. We're here with Mariners General Manager Jerry Depoto. Jerry will make an opening statement and then we'll follow it with questions. Take it away, Jerry. Thanks, Alex. Uh, obviously, here to announce another trade, actually two since we last spoke, uh, the acquisition of, of Tyler Anderson from the Pittsburgh Pirates and the acquisition of Diego Castillo from the, the Tampa Rays. So if, uh, if anyone has questions, I'm here to answer them. I don't, I don't think you need to walk me through any more of the detail you're aware. So glad to answer any questions you have. Hey, Jerry, after the deal um, on Tuesday with the Astros, and you hinted that there was a lot more coming, uh, specifically within you know, starting rotation in the bullpen. Can you kind of just walk us through how these past few days were and you know how this deal today came together? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a deal we actually had spoken about before uh, the, the, the deals from earlier in the week. Uh, as I mentioned this morning in a radio spot, you know, the one question nobody asked was about the timing of the deal because everybody was was caught up in the the anxiety around the deal that we made on Monday. But Monday's deal was it had to be made on Monday because Rafael Montero needed to be placed on waivers by Tuesday. So there was no way to execute that deal on any day other than Monday. And, you know, it, it, it felt wonky. I, I feel badly for that. And, you know, but it had to be done that day if we were going to do it. And this was the next part of that. So, you know, we do feel, as I said, you know, when we were, we, we felt like there was a chance that we could get this across the goal line. And, you know, it, today it really picked up and, and we were able to, you know, get to uh, the, the right marriage uh, on, a, on a second player in the deal, which we knew we were going to have to add in order to, to make it work. And, and ultimately we arrived at Austin Shenton, which was painful for us. You know, we really like Austin. He, he can really hit, he's a great kid, uh, but you have to give to get. And, you know, I've said all along that we were focused on doing what we could to improve our team now and to continue to improve our team for 2022 and beyond. And we feel like we've accomplished that and, and can't tell you that, that we will make another deal between now and the deadline, but we're, we're, we're not intentionally done. If, if we're done, it's just because we weren't able to get anything across, but we do have other things going. Jerry, this is one of those deals um, that seems to make a lot of sense because it helps you now and it helps you later. The club control component to Castillo, pretty important in this, correct? Sure. You know, I, I mean, that that's the, the end result for us is that we, you know, I, we love Gravy. He did a great job while he was here. You know, the fact is that that he was due to hit free agency at year's end and and Diego Castillo is due to hit arbitration, you know, in, in 2022. But, you know, remains under under club control for another three years. And that's you know, that's a big part of this. We're a young team. We're growing. We would we would very much like to be in, in the hunt for a postseason berth this year. But we feel like 2022 and beyond are are real opportunities for us. And, you know, the additions of, of players like Diego and Abraham Toro really help us in that regard. Jerry, uh, obviously Diego's numbers kind of jump off the page, but you know, how much did you guys weigh that he pitched leverage innings in a world series run last year? It's a big deal. You know, th those kinds of experiences are a big deal. And, and, you know, he has them. He's been in the really in the hottest fire there is in, in leverage innings and, you know, against real lineups and, you know, and, and I guess lived to tell the tale. <laughs> so, 
he's he's been consistently good since he came to the big leagues. Uh, he's just 27 years old. He's uh, it's a it's he strikes him out. He throws strikes. He's surprisingly athletic for a big guy, and that's a it's. I think he's actually played the outfield, which is a a, a pretty phenomenal achievement and something that seems very Tampa Rays. But he uh, he's it, it, we're really happy to have him, and and he seems to be a wonderful guy. In my first interaction, so he'll fit in very well with what I think is a a super clubhouse here. This might be a better question for Scott, but do you see him kind of sliding into the closers role immediately here? That'd be my expectation, but similar to what we've done with, you know, different pockets in the lineup, you know, there, there were times where gravy pitched the ninth inning. There were times where we went in another direction because we, we thought maybe the better pocket came up in the eighth inning or something thereabouts, but some combination of Diego Castillo, Paul Seawald, Drew Steckenrider, Eric Swanson, Anthony Mishevitz. We, we still feel like the, the great strength of our team is our bullpen and that should continue to be the case. Jerry, he's a JT was a, a minor league sign a year ago. Taylor Williams is a, a waivers claim that you, you turn something into Austin Nola. Where does the credit go for getting these guys that you take chances on and building something out of it to get stuff that helps you in the future? There, there are probably too many names to spread around, but I'll try. You know, it's a our analytics group does a phenomenal job of of creating target players based on pitch traits and styles that we think we can enhance. They pass it along to our pitching strategists. So this starts with Jesse Smith, with Joel Furman, with David Hesslink, with with our front office group. Uh, we then. Justin, myself, Tim Stanton will engage them. Brendan Damaraki will, will engage players uh, and their agents to try to get them over here. And then we pass it off to Trent Blank, to Max Wiener, to our minor league pitching strategists. And they have historically done a phenomenal job with, with, you know, taking these, these ideas and bringing them to life through a player plan. And, and it's been a, a pretty successful thing for us. And, and in the case of Nola, all of that is true, except now instead of Trent Blank, it's, it's Jared DeHart, and it's formerly you know Dustin Lind and and our and our hitting strategists Connor Dawson, etc. It's it's such a, a nice part of what we do, and and we're achieving real value in that area, and that's that's a positive thing for us. Hey Jerry, forgive me for jumping ahead a little bit to 2022, but it appears that you have lined up. Um, a pretty solid bullpen, at least going into spring training. Granted, things change and all that, but with Giles and Munoz and now Castillo and the other in-house guys, um, I remember not too long ago, this was an area that you spent a lot of time trying to improve. Uh, the names change and all that, but how formidable of a group is that potentially moving forward? Really, and I don't, you didn't even mention Paul. <laughs> you know, I think he's been as good as anybody in the league this year. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it is formidable on paper. And, you know, I know we're excited about it. We still have two months of this season to play. So we're, we're, we're hopeful that this group can be as, as formidable. But, you know, anticipating, you know, Andres Munoz and Ken Giles joining this group in 22 is pretty exciting because right now, all the group that is down there now, you know, projects to come back for 2022 and, and we project to add Giles and Munoz, which is, is pretty intriguing. Jerry, two questions. First, building off of that, what's the update on Giles? We haven't heard anything about him all season and on Munoz. Yeah, both are in throwing programs. Uh, Munoz is now off a of mound 
Ken Giles is close behind. So, you know, Ken is still in his long, the, the long toss stage of his, his rehab and, and Andres is in actual starting to use his pitches stage. So coming along very well, we, we, ex, we don't expect either guy to pitch in the big leagues this year. You know, uh, we made that pretty clear sometime back, but, you know, as Andres is coming along is he had his surgery at a different juncture than, than Ken. So he's a little bit ahead, but both should be a hundred percent by spring training. Also with the addition of Castillo and completely understanding the impact of leverage and, and when you use pitchers, do you anticipate it will be a little bit more set in how you handle innings six, seven, eight, nine? It might be, but you know, Diego is familiar with pitching in, in a bullpen like the way we run a bullpen. So it's a, he has, he has closed games. He has been a, a leveraged, you know, setup man. Our intent is that he's the primary closer. So, you know, in much the same way we've used Kendall Graveman for, for most of this year, that's, I think what you'll see with Diego. And, you know, my guess is that most ninth inning, you know, leverage or, or save situations will be Diego Castillo. And then in the seventh, eighth, you know, innings, we'll probably see some combination of Paul Sewall, Drew Steckenrider, you know, and Anthony Mishevitz, who've done a terrific job for us. Hey, Jerry, you've added Tyler Anderson. Would you like to add one more starting pitcher? You guys have certainly, through injury and other things, depleted any semblance of reserves at this point. Uh, you needed Anderson to fill out the rotation. Would you like to add another arm before tomorrow? We're certainly open to it, you know, and, and we've tried. We, we have been very active this week on, on a lot of fronts. As you've seen with these moves that we've made, we are very cognizant of the the present and the future. So, you know, we are much more interested in the notion of a controllable starting pitcher if we can achieve that. If we can't, you know, there's it's unlikely that we would go uh, with another short term uh, addition. Uh, it's we don't naturally want to cut into uh, the, our depth moving forward in terms of uh, in terms of our minor league prospects or even as you've seen the cutting into the major league club again. Uh, the one area where we're less focused on, on the control is, is with the position player group. You know, if, if we can add another bat to help this club, we're going to be pretty active in the, in the hours ahead to see if we can do that. And, you know, it's a, it's again, we we're doing what we can do to make sure that we are as good as we can be in 21 while not taking away, uh, again, as, as, as best we can, not taking away any meaningful part of what we're doing, building for the future. Jerry, based around what some of your competitors in the wild card race have done in the last you know, 12 hours, 24 hours, do you think you've done enough at this point to stay competitive with them the rest of the way, understanding that you're also looking at the broader picture of what the future holds for you guys? Hope so, you know, but we're not gonna we're not gonna empty the, the the coffer to to try to keep up with what others are doing on trade deadline day. You know, we're we are we're one of the youngest teams in the league. The fact that we're here has surprised many. We don't want to forsake the fact that our players did a wonderful job in getting us here and deserve our help. Hopefully, they view this as as that. You know, we we added over a week's time. We added a young middle infielder or a young infielder who has an opportunity to play here for the next five plus seasons uh, there's who's fits in from an age and performance perspective, like so many others that we've acquired through the years we have acquired, you know, uh, what we think is a stabilizer for our rotation. We anticipate getting justice Sheffield back in the second week of August and Justin Dunn shouldn't be very far behind. 
We anticipate getting Kyle Lewis back somewhere late in August. Uh, we anticipate getting Jake Fraley back as early as, you know, Monday <laughs> or somewhere thereabouts. So there are a lot of ways that we can get better without going to market and just trying to pour it out to, to keep up with, you know, the, 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 the big boys, so to speak, we we're getting better and, and we want to make sure we keep our eyes trained on, on what our plan was coming in and, and stay disciplined. Hey Jerry, there's certainly no harm in asking, do you find, would you say the interest level or at least the number of hits and calls you've gotten on some of your top prospects, excuse me, <clears throat> has been fairly significant in the last few days? It's been very significant. Uh, it's, a, I think, very fair to say that the league is, is fond of, of our system, particularly what's happening at the top of our system. Jerry, have the asks been reasonable or ridiculous when you guys are looking to add and what they're wanting in return? Uh, depends who's asking, you know. Uh, obviously, we found the, uh, the, the asks to be reasonable enough to get a couple of deals done. You know, I personally, I, there's, I, I don't get offended by any ask and, and ask that the, the receiver feel the same way. It's, uh, you know, it, everybody has the right to ask for what they think is, is fair value, and, and I never take offense to that. So uh, teams have asked big. Other teams have asked what we think is in a very reasonable zone. And as the week has gone on, the, you know, the, the prices appear to be getting more reasonable, which is typically the case. Any last questions for Jerry? What's it going to be like the rest of the way, Jerry? Until I think one tomorrow. What's it going to be like the rest of the way? Uh, we're going to we're going to keep going. You know, it's a if if we can do something else, we're really we want to, and uh, that's been our goal throughout. And you know, I, I would like to get a little bit of sleep tonight. It's been you know these last three or four days have been a particular grind, but you know, uh, with for all intents and purposes, we've been rolling twenty four seven trying to make the team better and. We'll continue to do that until we, we get to the deadline. We've we've had a knack for doing deals right at the end, and you know I, I wouldn't put anything past us, but I also wouldn't say that that's imminent or or expected either. We can take one more from Pike. Hey, Jerry, do you when you said Kyle's coming back, do you see him in center field coming back, or do you Kelnick stay in there or Fraley? How do you see that working out? I, I think you'll probably see some type of rotation depending on how Kyle feels when he comes back. Uh, you know, some combination of Kyle, of Jared, uh, of, of Jake, there's the fact is they're mostly interchangeable in, in that they can all play all the positions and we'll do whatever we have to do from a playing time perspective and from a positional perspective to keep Kyle as healthy and, and as fresh as we possibly can. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, everyone. Jerry, did your phone die this morning or uh, while the rest of the baseball world is exploding around you, you guys uh, stood pat? Was it a busy morning in terms of calls and all that? And did you have some potential things on the table? We, we had a couple of things going. And, you know, as I said yesterday, we weren't going to fail for, for lack of trying. But, you know, we came up short on the pursuits we did have. As I said, going into this week and, and really through – the end of the day today, you know, we're, we are committed to this group of players. We feel like we've improved our team. You know, we added a, we added stability to our starting rotation. We brought in a, a closer who remains with us for the three years beyond this season. Uh, we brought in five more years of control uh, of a young infielder who we think is, a, this is what we do, you know, is, is the, the Abraham Toro type uh, acquisition. And we've done quite well with it. So, 
you know, I'm pleased with the things that we've done. And, uh, you know, I wish we could have done a little bit more, but it didn't work out for us. And we, we were committed to not blocking the young players from getting experience. So we knew we were walking a fine line, but we tried to walk it. And I, and I think we did it as effectively as we could. Jerry, how much crazy, did Jerry, is this the craziest thing you've ever seen, though? The amount of moves today by teams. I mean, it's chaos. Yeah, I think the, you know, the absence of the August deadline, it put a real, yeah, I, today really was a trade deadline. And that's unique in, at least in my life in baseball, there's always been something afterward, but this was your one chance. So, you know, it's, uh, you saw a lot of teams start to build up and, and create, you know, depth and, and some teams, you know, really did quite well in, 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 a, in a seller's position. So uh, obviously a lot of teams got better today and, and I think it was uh, fun to watch from a fan's perspective. And, and uh, we were entertained. I know that just watching it fly off the board. But we were we were just unwilling to meet the prices for the targets we did have. And, you know, most of them did end up moving and, and some didn't. But it's, uh, you know, it's something we felt pretty committed to. As I said yesterday, we have to remain disciplined to to the plan we set off. Jerry, how much did teams want to dip into your farm system? And is that what turned out to be like deal breakers that you just wouldn't go there? Yeah, I mean, that's a, the, the answer is all of them. And, uh, you know, and we were resistant to trading our top prospects for short term gain. You know, as I've said throughout, we were willing to, to consider roughly consider anything if it if it allowed us to continue to build forward. But we were unable to do that. And, and obviously we didn't make any moves today as a result. Jerry, uh, obviously all these deals had 2022 and beyond looking ahead, uh, you know, at the forefront of you guys' mind. But for 2021, how much better do you think this team is compared to just a few days ago? Well, you know, like I said, we obviously we took away from our bullpen and then we added back and, you know, we added stability to our starting rotation. And I know the Tyler gets lost in the wash a little bit because of the the, the anxiety throughout the week that, that was being paid attention elsewhere. But a really solid season. I, I think he comes through the door, I believe, with more F war than all but one of our starting pitchers. He's He's been quite good this year, and we're glad to have him. And he'll be on the mound tomorrow. And, and adding Abraham Toro and Joe Smith. And, and, you know, specifically, I'll focus on Abraham because we feel like that is – it's an opportunity to really create depth in our lineup with a switch hitter who – you know, we're, I understand that the track record isn't particularly long, but he's been an above average hitter at the major league level this year uh, to this point in a small sample when we feel like that's not accidental. We, we do feel like that's the start of, of what should be a really strong career for, for Abraham Toro. And Joe Smith provides us you know, with a, an opportunity to, like Rafael Montero for the Astros, you know, not, not too different, in that you have a guy who has a lot of underlying detail suggesting that his year should be better than it actually has been. And, and Joe Smith is an easy guy to trust and to root for. So, you know, hopefully he can contribute down there as well. And, and we'll continue to run out a group that's been terrific for us all year long. So uh, we'll hopefully respond well and, and move forward. But I do think we're better than we were when this, when this trade deadline began. Jerry, uh, Perry does a lot of great work with infielders. Uh, I saw him working a lot with Toro. Do you see Toro as a second baseman? Do you think he'll move back to third? Uh, I know he can play a little first, but or do you want that versatility? Oh, we'll find out as we go. You know, third base is, is, is his natural and primary position. And 
and and we believe he plays it well. I, I think you saw in a very small sample of one game, you know, at second base, he was m more than okay. You know, I, I thought the double play he turned particularly, you know, headed into the hole was was very athletic. Abraham is an above average runner. He's got real power. He has good plate discipline or, or zone judgment. He, he runs the base as well. It's a, it's a really fun player to add to our team. And, you know, and, and his next year will be his age 25 season. This is, this is an area we've really, uh, I guess, excelled in over the, the, the recent past. So, you know, it, I think it fits in with acquisitions starting back with Mitch Hanniger and Ty France and Luis Terenz and even JP Crawford. You know, they, they all generally fit this mold and 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 hopefully he is as successful in transitioning with the Mariners as the others have been. Jerry, when and how did Toro come on your radar? Uh, he's been on our radar for years. Uh, we, we've roughly been in touch with or trying to acquire uh, Toro, I would say, for the last three years uh, on and off. And it's it's always hard to to do deals in this league in general, but it's always particularly hard to do them in your division. But, you know, it's a, we, we've had some uh, opportunity with, with the Astros, but not a lot. And this really represented the first time we, we were going to have access. And it's a, it, it was a fun acquisition for us. We, we really like what he provides moving forward. Jerry, you said that uh, you felt that the players would understand the, the first trade more once the subsequent deals were made. Do you feel that that will happen now that it's the full picture is, is complete? Yeah, I think that way. But, you know, it's a, again, they're, they're their own, they, they have their own opinions and, and they're people. They deserve to have that. So I can't tell you what they should feel, but, you know, logically, I feel like we, we just made the team better in the present and we feel like we made the team considerably better for the future. And that's always been the line that we're trying to walk. There's, and the, the sensitive position of that is, you know, I guess juxtaposed to pouring it all in for a run as a as a, a wild card threat in a division where we trail the leader by a considerable amount. Uh, we, we couldn't be irresponsible in what we were doing here. That just would have been the wrong thing to do. Uh, and we had opportunities to do that. But, you know, we have to stay disciplined to, to the plan that we laid out. I think we're following along that plan and running on or ahead of schedule and, and getting there. Uh, and the, the team's done a wonderful job. And we do feel like we've given them, you know, the, we, we added to our major league club. This is, uh, there's no question about that. Whether it's deemed enough in the, in the scope of things, I, I don't know. You know. A lot of teams around us got a lot better today and we'll continue to battle like we have all year long. Hey Jerry, uh, just looking at your starting pitching, I, I don't, you mentioned Chef will be back you know, or get on a mound and, and Justin, but where's Logan at with his progression for your total innings count? I know the, the six man and everything helped, but is he on track? I mean, will you be able to have him in September on normal rest or would you have to bump in a guy every once in a while too? No, right now we feel like we're on, we're on a, a reasonable to almost ideal target. And, you know, that was the, the combination of the delayed start to his season with the minor league season, not starting until May bringing him up in the, the six-man rotation. And you'll remember even dating back to spring training, you know, limiting his innings in the major league camp. And then he went down with some shoulder fatigue and didn't throw for a little while. So, you know, he has not piled on a lot of innings more than what you're seeing right now. It's it's not a – he didn't pitch for six weeks before, you know, he was recalled to or, or added to our 40-man roster. 
he, he he roughly pitched one game before coming to the big leagues. So you've seen roughly the extent of it. We think he's in great shape. Jerry, with a five-man rotation, you've got two pitchers coming back, it sounds like, in the next three weeks, uh, two starters. Uh, how do you accommodate their innings? You know, we're, we'll take that as it comes, uh, as you might expect after, you know, living through the April to, to July pitching uh, injury fiascos that we've lived through. If, if we get to the point where we have seven healthy starters, first we'll rejoice, and then we'll figure out where they pitch. Jerry, regarding Castillo, what did you learn from Tampa about their concerns about his weight or conditioning? Nothing. We're not concerned. And so he's 100%, obviously. Oh, yeah. We ran through the, the physical medical reviews, as we always do, and, and we're perfectly comfortable with where he is. Jerry, I know Emerson came back and threw again after the shoulder fatigue. George is down for a little bit with the shoulder fatigue. With these younger, with, with no minor league season, how much are you relying on your pitchers to be super honest with you about any fatigue, any like anything like that, to avoid some of the massive injury issues we've seen this year all over baseball? Uh, we've been, as you can see, we've been very conservative in how we're progressing our guys. And uh, we knew this was going to be a light innings year. Uh, across our system to, to the extent that we even set up piggyback situations at minor league levels where there were two starters for a game, six-man rotations from the A levels on through AAA, trying to make sure that we were, you know, a attentive uh, to the notion that it was going to be a difficult, you know, transition for these guys coming back after, you know, little to no work in, in 2020. So, you know, we've been sensitive to that. I think it's worked to this point. You know, we've, you know, we've, we've managed the, the bumps and the bruises and we have urged all of our players to be honest with us about what they're feeling in a moment. And when they feel anything, we're more likely to back off the gas than, than put our foot down. Yeah. You know, it's a, we don't think it's necessary that these guys throw 120 or 150 innings this year. We just need to get them their professional experience and start building. And, and I think that's happening. Jerry, were you watching live last night when Julio got in that collision? Or did you see the video and what was going through your mind when you saw it? Uh, I saw the video and what was going through my mind was, why are we doing this? <laughs> but I was very glad to see him get up and, and return to his position. It was not a, a soft collision, as you as you can uh, test to. But his, I, I, he got up. He got two hits in the game. I was happy for him. You know, it's a this really is an opportunity of a lifetime for him. And and you know, this is this is Julio acclimating to the big stage. And I couldn't be happier you know, first that that all was okay after he, he went through that and, and that he seems to be enjoying and producing during the Olympics. It's a, it's a great experience. Okay, that'll do it for this week's Extra Innings Podcast. Thanks to Larry Stone, as always, for coming on and, and giving me an hour to talk about it. Um, he should be thanking me because I allowed him to avoid going to Seahawks practice, which makes him definitely happy. So uh, thanks to you guys for listening and reading the stuff at the Times. Uh, keep following us. We'll be, you know, covering baseball quite a bit. I'm on the road again, so you can expect a lot of content. And hopefully we'll get another podcast out here after this Yankee series sometime next week. But until then, we'll talk to you soon. This has been the Extra Innings Podcast presented by the Seattle Times with your host, Ryan Divish. Thanks to the Midnight Salvage Company for providing the beds and bumper music for the podcast.
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. You can reach Ryan via email, rdivish at seattletimes.com. Follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Ryan Divish. Thanks for listening. <laughs>